somebody it's good, say, it's good to see you. Come on, you can do better than that. Go ahead and hit that. Go ahead and hit that blackout button, Judah. Good job. Here we go. There we go. Isn't Judah doing a great job? My eight-year-old is running all the media today. Why don't you give it up for him? Isn't he doing a great job? Someday he'll be up here. Amen? And uh, hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. Uh, I have the group privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, uh, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And, and we believe the Bible is the story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. So if you forgot your Bible, uh, we got you covered. You can slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. And you can take that Bible if you don't have one. That's our gift to you. And we pray that you take that and read that every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Three of you think that? Right? Every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen? Hey, Terry, can you help my brother over here? He needs a Bible just right there and uh, get one to him. Hey, turning your Bible to uh, the book of Titus. And if you're new to the scriptures, you can start in the right and uh, you'll find it much faster. You'll find some bigger books uh, like Hebrews and then tucked in between Hebrews and Titus is Philemon. Uh, or you'll find First and Second Timothy, and then you'll find just this short, simple letter that Paul wrote to a man named Titus who was living on the island of Crete, a island just off the coast of Greece. And we've been in this series for uh, several weeks now. We'll be finishing up um, in the next couple of weeks and uh, we're so glad that you've joined us through this. Hey, if you're joining us online, uh, we're so glad that you're with us. If you're joining us at the Lompoc campus, uh, we are so glad that you are gathered with us. See, it doesn't matter uh, where or when you gather. It matters that you gather. Let me encourage you, if you're watching online, if you do your best to get in person. Do your best to be at the Buellton campus, at the Lompoc campus, as best that you can. Because here's the idea, more than just a sermon, you need someone. Uh, like if you were to uh, ask people who've been uh, a person of faith for any period of time, and you say, well, what helped you get there? They probably won't tell you about a sermon. You've probably forgot most sermons like I have. And so it's not about a sermon. It's usually about someone. Amen. You go, well, I'm further along down the road than that. Well, here's the reality. Someone needs you. Amen. And so be that someone. Uh, show up. Be a part. Uh, talk to someone while you're getting coffee. Find someone in the courtyard or out at the space at the Lompoc campus and greet somebody. Talk with someone. Be a contributor to the community because this is not just coffee and a talk. This is about the community of faith and us rallying together and encouraging one another. As Ephesians says that we're to speak the truth in love that the, the saints would be equipped that we might 
might grow ourselves together in love. So you have a responsibility to be a contributor to the community of faith. And so be someone. Someone needs to hear your story. Someone needs to be encouraged by you. So uh, we believe life is better together. Amen? Amen. So we're uh, so glad you're here. Let's uh, look at the book of Titus as this is like a family meeting and a letter to the family, a letter to the leader, Titus, of this local community. And he writes for us in Paul, writes to Titus, a local pastor, and he writes these words uh, in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Somebody say, oh no. No, this is going to be one of those sermons, huh? Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. (laughs) Let me say it again. To speak evil of no one unless I disagree with them politically. (laughs) Speak evil of no one unless I want them out of office. Speak evil of no one unless, notice that there's no unless, uh, notice that there's no caveat, notice that there's no but. It says, speak evil of no one. Oh, that's good, amen? Speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, the hope of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. That's why I'm insisting on it. It tells me to insist on these things. Why? Because of the greatness of our God and Savior. Insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, then have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self condemned. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace that you would help us in all things to devote ourselves to good works that people may glorify our God in heaven. Let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this coast. And everyone said, 
Amen. There's passages that I come to, and let's just be honest, like I, I, I want to disagree with, I want to fight with. There, there's some questioning, and, and let me just tell you that if you find yourself in a setting like this, when you find yourself in a church where you don't have to fight with some things, or in other words, if you're not offended at some point when you're here, you're in the wrong place. Somebody say amen to that. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, what I'm saying is the truth offends everyone. Well, not me, Pastor Sam. The truth doesn't offend me because I adhere to the truth. Well, the part that you get offended by, the part that you won't adhere to, the part that frustrates you, that's the part. That's the truth that you don't adhere to. And so we have to wrestle with these things. We have to fight with truth. We have to fight with text. We have to fight with things that at first glance to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready in every good work, to speak evil of no one. And yeah, 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 yeah. But how many of us as Christians or no Christians, how many of us would be honest that are oftentimes when we read the Bible, we go, yeah, 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 but we, we read truth to us. And, and because we don't want to accept it, we go, yeah, yeah, but you know, how many of you, yeah, 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 but you know Christians, do you know, right? Yeah, 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 but, man, I, I can be one of those. I, I, I want to find parts that I agree with, and I want to read those parts. I want to devote myself to that and ignore others because oftentimes Jesus will call us to things that are hard, and we question, and let me tell you, if you question, you are in good company. Maybe you grew up in a church and say, hey, don't question. The Bible said it, that settles it. And, and, and that's the end of the story. But see, if you're going to actually discover what the Bible means, you're going to have to wrestle with some things that you read. You're going to have to wrestle with the words of Jesus. Do you know the disciples kept coming to Jesus and going, Jesus, what about this? I don't know about that. Jesus, you can't say that. Can you imagine? Like some of us are afraid to have that conversation with God, and yet the disciples we read have those conversations with Jesus. He would say things that would trouble them. They go, you can't mean that. You can't be serious. And that's a hard thing. How could anyone accept that? Now, there's one story that stands out. Jesus had ju just fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, from a lunchable lunchbox. See, he had a sermon that day. It went long because that's what some of us do. And, and people began to get hungry. The disciples go, hey, the, the, everyone's hungry. And, and, they're, the, and you know how you are when you're hungry. We call that hangry at my house. Like, come on, man, eat his Snickers. You're acting like Betty White. And... Uh, and, and Oh, sorry. And, and yet, there, there are times when, when I, 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 my body needs uh, sustenance and my flesh puts me in a mood uh, where uh, I, I'm not pleasant. And imagine 5,000 people getting that way, not counting women and children. And, and yet, they go, hey, we got to do something about this. The, the crowd is getting upset and anxious. And he goes, okay, well, what do you, what do you have? And someone has the guts to say, hey, this, this little boy over here, he's got, he's got a lunchbox. And it, it, it's got some fish and it's got some bread. And maybe we have that. Can you imagine the faith even to suggest that with all of these people, just a couple of fish and some loaves of bread? And Jesus said, bring it to me. 
And he performs a miracle. He begins to feed all of these people. And he feeds them in such a way that there's, there's food actually left over. There's 12 baskets of food left. That they take. Can, you, can you imagine that? I mean, I mean, how spectacular is that? And then the Bible goes on and tells us that the next day, the same crowd came back looking for free lunch. I mean, can you imagine if that was your church, like every week we're serving tacos out the back and you get, a, you get to take some home. We got so much. Every week we're just feeding you, make, making you comfortable. And, and then you come, uh, you come the next week and, and Jesus says this, no, 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 unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you'll have no part with me. Could you imagine bringing your friend to that sermon, right? Like Peter's like, did you really, like really? You know, like even as a pastor, I read that, but like, like really the vampire verse, that's what I got to deal with this week. Like that's what you're going to say. And Peter, uh, Peter's like, what, what are you doing? And everyone leaps. You got to realize that, that popularity does not lend itself to credibility, friend, Crowds do not mean truthfulness. And yet both are true. There can be a crowd and Jesus is there preaching a sermon and there, there could be something that causes people not to accept it. And so, so like us, we stand and go, man, this is hard. This is a hard saying. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how to deal with it. Peter says, listen, Jesus, this is a hard thing to hear. It reminds me like this moment actually for us uh, illustrates what can be found in our church cultures, in our communities. I mean, uh, Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, in the last days, people will not endure sound doctrine. Things that are solid and foundational, they will not endure it. They won't tolerate it. He says they'll seek out teachers for their own. And, and, and he says this, they'll find those who will tickle their ears and fill their stomachs. He says they'll call truth, uh, they'll, they'll call good evil and evil good. I mean, I know it's really hard to imagine a place like this. They'll call the truth lies and the lies they'll try to propagate as truth. And then he says this, and their God will be their stomachs. Can you imagine? Think, think about that idea. I, I, I mean, that, that my flesh and my stomach pumping dopamine to my brain, just trying to get a feel in the moment, not wrestling with difficult things, not pursuing truth, saying ignorance is bliss. Why is that, Satan, that statement so potent? Ignorance is bliss because the truth is a fight. The truth is hard. The truth is something that I'll have to wrestle with with and the sayings will be tough the sayings will be difficult and everyone leaves and J jesus looks at the disciples and says this will you go too will you leave will you also go and peter says this one time he gets right he says where shall we go lord for it is you alone who have the words of life it is you alone who has the words of life peter is on to something Peter was onto something, this idea that life was found in the person of Jesus. Jesus is speaking metaphorically, but he's speaking literal in a sense that it is his life that brings 
life. What do you mean, Pastor? What I'm saying is, is that according to the scripture, there is a difference between living and existing. There's a difference between just merely existing and actually having life. Uh, there was this interview years ago with this little known athlete. You've probably never heard of him. Uh, his name is Tom Brady and, and uh, the goat. And, and at 27, Tom Brady had already won three Super Bowls. At 27 years old, he was at the pinnacle. I mean, some of the great players, the Hall of Fame players, will never even play in a Super Bowl, let alone win one. And by the time he was 27, he had already won three. Yes, that's why he's the GOAT. <laughs> and, yet, uh, and yet in this interview at 27 years old, uh, the interviewer sits with him and goes, Tom, like, you're at the pinnacle. Think about that. Like, think about you raising your son. Like, I have dreams and aspirations. I'm tempted to live vicariously through my son Judah's fantastic hair, you know? And, 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 and sometimes we have, a, we have a tendency to live vicariously through our children, and we hope we, we put them in club sports, or we put them in, in this, we put them in that. We say, man, if I, could just, if I could just get them to the bigs, if I could get them to the big leagues, if I could just accomplish great goals, if I, if I could just get them to the top. Listen, Tom Brady was at the top, the pinnacle of success. See, you have great success. You've at the pinnacle, but here's what you'll find out, and this is what every tabloid is telling us. This is a great quote from the prophet Jim Carrey. Remember that guy? He said, I wish that at some time everyone could be rich and famous so they, they would realize that life isn't about being rich and famous. And what if we could realize that you could have everything? Tom Brady sits with this interviewer and he asks him, uh, uh, Tom, uh, uh, what, what is it like being at the top? And with, uh, with almost tears in his eyes, he looks, he goes, man, I, I kind of go, is this it? Matt, I mean, I, the pin, I mean, you've won three Super Bowl rings. He's, going, he's looking, man, there's got to there's be more. Now, I, I, I don't know, maybe he figured out something at 27. Maybe that's why he's been able to win how many more. <laughs> he realized it's just a game, and that's not all there is to life. And I don't know what Tom Brady's faith is like, but he lets us in on something that we all know intrinsically to be true. And the Bible reveals this to us. The Bible says that God has hidden eternity in our hearts, that we know there is more. So let me encourage you, young person, let me encourage you, business owner, let me encourage you, entrepreneur, let me encourage you that you can be at the pinnacle of success and still feel like you are missing something. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What Jesus is telling us is there is more to life than merely existing. So what is life? Jesus is saying to us that unless we take his life, unless we eat of his life, we will merely just exist. That life is actually found in him by consuming and being in and being found in his life. See, so if you wrestle with these things, you'll, you'll get to moments like this and go, man, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and the question will be, will you live his life or your life? Will you go your way or God's way? 
Will you determine that your way is better? And remember, let me just remind you when you got your way and it didn't work out the way you thought it was going to go. And here's the, what the scriptures are beginning to real, reveal to us is that he is truth. He is life. He is the way. And you have to ask the question, when you stand at a crossroads, pun intended, you'll find yourself, man, which way will I go? His way or mine? Will I go towards life or will I merely exist? You'll wrestle with these things. These are the things to wrestle with. These are the things that when you get to passages like this, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authority. And you go, yeah, 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 but, and I would say, yeah, 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 but Jesus. You go, it doesn't really mean this. Well, let me ask you a question. Was, was Jesus submissive to the rulers and leaders over him? You go, yeah, but if you just go along with everything they're talking, like you'll never change them. Let me ask, is Rome different today than it was in the time of Jesus? Like here's what you gotta realize is, is Jesus is calling us to live a life that is actually potent and persuasive. He calls us to live a life that actually changes the culture around. We live in such a way, we live, live for God and we change the culture around us. See, Jesus actually changed Rome. The Roman Empire that put forth themselves Caesars as gods. And yet Jesus lived in such a way that somehow he was able to navigate the culture, the laws of the land and the laws of God. That at the point of his trial, Pilate stands in front of Jesus and cannot find fault with Jesus. He says he washes his hand. He says, innocent, I'm innocent of his blood. you imagine one of the most corrupt governments and leaders in all of human history says he cannot find fault with this man, Jesus. And yet somehow, Jesus' life will change. His death, his burial, his resurrection, and his influence, his life. He says, unless a, a, a grain of wheat dies, it remains singular. But if it dies and goes into the ground and reproduces itself, his life in ours, living out the kingdom of God. Somehow that kingdom, you realize that's here and not yet. There's being built inside of us through his people from that day forward. All of a sudden there was this kingdom that they couldn't really explain. Their leader we'd killed. There were rumors of a resurrection. And yet that influence changed the known world. At one time, Rome would murder Christians on Roman crosses. And today, if you were to visit the city of Rome, you would see crosses lining the streets as decor, as a symbol of life. At one time, a Roman torture device has now been changed from death to life. And now you look to the beach and see a lifeguard stand and you see a Roman torture device as a symbol of salvation, Jesus' life subverted the culture. It, it, it corrupted corruption. It began to erode hardened hearts by obedient, submissive, kind, courteous, not speaking evil of anyone, even if you disagree with them, even if you wish they weren't in office, even if you think that they're completely bogus and corrupt, it says, speak evil of Lompoc. How you doing with that one, right? 
How are we doing with that? The question, yeah, 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 but his life. Yeah, yeah, my way, boy, about his way. Well, will it work? You'll have to wrestle with that. Here's the reality. You'll have to wrestle every single day with will I go my way or his way. And, and the reality is, is this is the foundation of faith. The foundation of faith is questioning and fighting and wrestling. At one time, Jacob, the deceiver, wrestled with God, and God changed his name to Israel, which literally means one who wrestles with God. This is the foundation. This is the fight. And you'll have to fight. Is it your way or God's way? You'll have to fight with, is it my truth? Because it doesn't matter what your truth is. It matters what's actually true. See, let, me, let me just help you as you wrestle through. One of, the, one of the worst questions that you can ask in a Bible study, one of the worst questions that you can ask when you're doing your devotional is what does this mean to me? Because it does not matter, friend, what it means to you. It matters what it actually means. Oh. God, knock it off. You're too late. Right? Lompoc was with me. Right? Yeah, the, the, the reality is, is, is like sometimes we want to go find the, the thing that we agree with. We want our echo chamber. We don't really want to hear other people's opinions or voices. We want our opinions and our voice to come out of someone's mouth. Amen. I want to hear my own voice right back to me. All right, all right, all right. That's what we want. And yet we put ourselves in positions where we're only in echo chambers. We put ourselves in positions where we will only accept the things that we agree with. And the Bible is full of things and full of questions you didn't even know to ask. It will reveal things that you didn't know were there. It will bring up things you didn't know needed brought up and will address those things and will teach us the way of Jesus being submissive, honoring. We can show honor and disagree, amen? We can be obedient and serve. The idea is serving. Man, man, serving those I disagree with, serving leaders who've been placed over us, serving and honoring. Well, Pastor Sam, why would we do that? Because no one else does. No one does that. Jesus says, here's the culture. One time he says, you know what rulers are like. You know what bosses are like. You know what managers are like. They don't serve. They have positions of authority to be served. Man, I moved up in rank, so I don't have to do the job. I, I've moved up in the position. I'm in the company, so I have the corner office. Not so I got to clean the toilets. I, I move up in ways so that others do the serving. And I do the leading. And yet Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Not so with you. Do you want to be great? You want to be great? He says, become the least. Become the servant of everyone. You want to know what it's like to climb the ladder in the kingdom of God? It's going down to go up. Man, it's this upside down kingdom that the greatest in the kingdom is those who serve. And here's what you'll realize. When you serve, you'll subvert. When you su serve, you'll corrupt corruption. It will erode their hearts. They will melt when you're kind and courteous and you have a soft answer, avoiding quarreling. See, see, when you follow Jesus, here's what's happened. You get a new life, his life, and you become aware of the contrast between your old life and the new life, amen? You realize there are two yous that live inside of you. You'll realize that, man, the, 
There's this old me. You're, you're getting moments where you've been following Jesus for some time now and you realize sometimes you don't act like you. And that's good news. You're like, man, I was way more patient than I used to be. That used to bother me. Right? Anyone ever been there? Like, man, I, uh, that, they, used to, they, uh, they used to really get me. Right? I, I realized, man, now when someone brings up that person's name, I, 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 I don't have all this resentment towards them. And I used to have all this built-up anger and built-up unforgiveness, but now something's happened. All of a sudden, I realize, like, alongside, like, a plant that just grows because it's plugged into the soil. It's not striving. It's not pushing. It's not, it's not trying to grow. It just grows. It just is. You just wake up, and there's fruit right in front of your eyes. That's what it's like to grow in Christ. You realize, man, I, I'm somebody different. I, I'm someone I, I didn't realize, but it was right there growing man I, I get that way he says no avoid quarreling see my nature is man I, I, I'm kind of always looking for a fight I'm looking for, for an argument I'm, I'm, I'm looking to, to, to uh, uh, put my point out there my wife's always trying to talk me out of that right like stop he, he, he's going to end cap this whole thing inside of the church and outside of the church avoid foolish arguments because those arguments never changed anyone. Newsflash. Your Facebook post has never converted anyone. Let me hear it from the back. Amen. Right? Yeah, it's not. It's not converted anyone. Why? Because it did not work for you. I know. And yet, I, I want to do that. He says at the end, avoid controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, the religious fight, the infighting in the church, the infighting out of the church. We just have it because we are far more concerned with being correct than we are being persuasive. And I, I, I do that. My wife had to talk me out of it as we're walking through the slow farmer's market and I see atheists united. Like, I want to go talk to those guys, right? My wife could see me twitching as I'm walking past the tent. She's like, so you're going to go back there, aren't you? And I was like, no, no, never. No, I'm not going to do that. And then five minutes later, I'm standing at the tent, right? And she's like, I thought you weren't going to go over there, right? And I was just like, I want to, man, they got to hear my point. They got, you know, if, if they could just, if they could just hear me, right? Like they, they, they're not ready for me. <laughs> like they're showing up, they're talking about all this stuff about uh, the Bible and scriptures and, 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 and trying to create doubt in the trustworthiness of scripture, which is also what false teachers who claim to be Christians do. But they're over there, like I'm over there like, man, they're trying to evangelize people to nothing. You get that later. And, and, and it's like, man, I want to I I go talk to him. And I, and I, and I go up and, and I, real, I realize that the fight was already being fought. There was like a 20-something-year-old girl that was just letting them have it. <laughs> I was all worried. I saw him stand up. I was like, I got to go save these young people, right? And I got to go let them know. And they're over there like, well, you know. And I was like, I think, I think, the, I think the fight's already started. So I, I just, just go, okay. But, but isn't that what happens? We, we think, and, and here's what we have to wrestle with as Christians, as a community of faith, is what is our fight? What mantle are we meant to be picking up? See, right now, we have to wrestle with, is it conservative politics? 
Is our fight, I want to let people know uh, about what I believe about policy and politics, and, and I want to get my message out, or is it actually the love of Christ that changes people? And we have to wrestle with that. Were you offended by that? That's the truth that you won't accept, right? You may agree with conservative politics. You may, agree, you may disagree with how the culture goes, but let me remind you, and here's what he says. He says, listen, we ourselves once were foolish. So be submissive, be kind, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy to all people. All people, no caveat, all people, well, what if they're on this side of the yard? What if they, what if they believe this? Well, I had to, do, you know, I just couldn't, Pastor Sam, I couldn't, couldn't help myself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you with me? Courtesy to all people. For we ourselves were once foolish. We ourselves were disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, being moved by our feelings and our needs, being moved astray. That was us too. Paul writes it this way in Ephesians. He says, we were once dead in our trespasses and sin. And he says, and we walked according to the flesh. Dead people walking. The walking dead. I've heard this somewhere before, right? This joke went better when that show was really popular. <laughs> but the idea, here, here's the reality, like Hollywood did not come up with the idea of zombies. The Bible did. Dead people walking. Or in other words, there's merely existing and not truly living. And like a zombie, people will eat their fuel, going towards their passions, their cravings. They will be driven and defined by what they consume rather than what they contribute. They'll be defined. Their identity will be found in what they crave and what drives them rather than actually being in control, not out of control, but living selfless and devoted and contributing to others. But they will eat and consume and into the mouth and out the gut, never finding their feel, never enough, never enough money, never enough sex, never enough pleasure, never enough endorphins, more, 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 like zombies led astray, dead people walking. Here's what Paul said, and you too once were that way. So what? No, no, no. We too were led astray. He writes in Romans and he talks about this, the first chapter of Romans, he talks about these people who, who ought not do some things. You ever met those people? It's usually not you, right? It's always everybody else who shouldn't do that, right? I call them the oughts and the ought nots. You have to decide which category you're in. You may have thrown caution to the wind. You say, I don't care about truth. I don't care about goodness. I don't care about God's way. I'll live my way. And Romans 1 says there's some people who will live that way. And they ought not be that way. And they ought not do that. And then there's some people uh, in chapter 2, he says, that think that they are right because of all that they ought to do that they've actually done. They've carried the oughts. I do what I ought to. I, I, I've carried out. And he, he says this. He says, these people who throw caution in the wind, they're unrighteous. They're not right. They're not in right status with God. He, he says that's unrighteousness and the wrath of God is stored up for the unrighteous. But in chapter two, he says there's self-righteous people 
And self-righteousness is unrighteousness. Trying to get it right on your own, thinking, puffing out your chest, not really realizing there's still a contrast between you and the new you and the old you. And puffing out your chest, pointing fingers at others. He says, don't you realize it is the love of God that leads people to repentance? Don't you realize that it is the kindness of God that brings people from death to life? He says, so, so here's, the, here's the reality, friend. Stop being offended when dead people do dead things. You're welcome. Stop being offended when zombies act like zombies because you too once were dead and you're trespassing. He says, listen, no, be kind towards everyone for we ourselves were foolish. We ourselves were disobedient. We ourselves were led astray but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God appeared, when the goodness and love of our loving Savior appeared, he saved us, not because works of righteousness, but because of his kindness and love. He gave us his spirit, the washing of regeneration and renewing. What does it mean? That the Holy Spirit has burst something new. That's the new you. He reminds you that that new you that you've become is not really you. It's the Holy Spirit in you and through you. That new you is the work of the Spirit. All the other stuff, that was you. That new life where you're not acting like you, you're not as frustrated you're not as angry, you've forgiven, well, even when it doesn't make sense, you're not resentful and envious and greedy, but forgiving and loving, that's the new you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit birthing the person of Jesus Christ in and through you. Paul says, so I'm crucified daily, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me. This is the idea that he says after the feeding of the 5,000. This is the idea. Eat my life, drink my life, have my life in exchange for yours, and it's a better life. And it's not because you got it together. It's not because you were righteous, but because of his mercy. Then he goes on to say this. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. He tells the preacher, insist on this. Insist on this behavior. Insist on this sound teaching. Insist on this idea. So that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. What's the idea? He actually presents the entire thing. He presents the gospel. He presents the idea. Here's what's actually happened. And he begins to describe it to us. See, this word justified is an interesting word. See, to be justified is to be in a different status than what you were. I remember writing a paper on justification in college and I had my own ideas because that's what we do. We project our ideas and we use our illustrations. I try to come up with stories or illustrations to try to explain it. And so in my paper on Romans, see, 
Paul wrote this letter in the book of Romans. Romans is like a dissertation that helps us understand these big theological concepts. This idea of justification. What does it mean to be justified? He uses this word. We can't assume that we know what we're talking about. But see, sometimes the, the idea of being justified goes with justice. Right? Like if it, that show justified was, a, was a, um, a hillbilly cowboy going around and giving everybody justice. Right? in eastern Kentucky, by the way. And so we think, and I, and I kind of put that, like I put my comic book theology on the Bible, right? Because if there's justice, what that means is, is there's bad guys and good guys, and justice is the good guys coming and dealing with the bad guys. But what if you're the bad guy in somebody else's story? So you used to think like this, because that's the reality. Someone prayed, deliver me from Sam Kaiser. It's probably my wife. You go, well, if, there, if there's a bad guys, we, the good guy has to come and take care of the bad guys. And sometimes what happens in Christianity is we begin to preach a gospel that sounds like this, get it right or pay the price. But Christianity is not a gospel of get it right or pay the price. Christianity is a gospel of you can't get it right. So he paid the price. Christianity is, an, he's, is not, hey, listen, get it, get it right or you're going to pay. It's you couldn't do it. You never had the ability to be righteous. So he paid your price. See, what do you do when you're the bad guy in somebody else's story and you ask the Lord to rid the world of evil and you realize that sometimes the same evil that you see in the world is the very same evil that you see inside of you? Some of us just haven't acted on it. Some of us just haven't followed through. Some of us just haven't gotten caught. Some of us just, but if you realize if there's a record, see the reality is, is this isn't the battle of good and evil. This idea of justification is you're standing in a courtroom and there's a trial and you're hoping to find favor in the court's eyes. But you know the record. It doesn't matter. It's, it, it's not a matter. There's no jury because the jury is being judged as well. The Bible tells me there's only one righteous judge. There's only one innocent here. And here's the reality. The facts are in. He knows all the evidence. He's seen behind the curtain. He's seen the public and the private. He knows everything. And when the verdict comes out, and you know you stand condemned, guilty as charged, and the judge comes out, and he reads the verdict. And he says, innocent. Washed white as snow. You know, I know the evidence. I know, I know the record. You go, no, 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 no. What's the penalty? How could this be? And God says, Jesus, my one and only son, he paid your debt. He took your penalty. 
and he exchanges his good for our bad, his spotless record for our tarnished record. And he gives us a new status and a new name. We expect to be guilty. You know what he says? Justified. Righteous. Righteous. By his grace, unmerited, undeserved favor is what grace means. My debt has been paid. The, the verdict is out. And now all of a sudden I'm treated as an heir, joint heirs with Christ. He treats us and adopts us, Romans 8 will tell us. He treats his adopted children like he treats his one and only son. So now what? See, most movies in there, right? Most stories, it ends with the verdict and, and they go out and they hug one another and we're, we're free, we're innocent. The question is, what do you do now that you have a new name and a new status and you've been justified? What do you do with that? Do you walk out of the courtroom and forget? No, no, no. That's why every week we remind ourselves. That's why it says, by grace, through faith. See, sometimes I'll lose sight of what's been done for me. I'll lose sight that I've been forgiven and I won't forgive others. I'll lose sight that he's been gracious to me and I've not been gracious with others. So through the lens of faith, I'll remind myself, I'll be reminded through the scriptures, through the sermon, through someone. He goes, no, 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 we are forgiven. We too were dead. We once were lost, but now we're found. We too, and so love the way you've been loved. It'll change them, it changed you. Love them because that's what brings people from death to life. Love them. Be kind and courteous. Be careful to devote yourself to good works. You're free to live the life that God's called you to live. The curse of sin is broken. The love of Christ has spoken love to me. Maybe you didn't know, we, we wrote the, the third song that we sang today. It's called, Then Sunday Came. And one of the reasons why we wrote it, and we're going to continue to write music, because we want to teach good sound theology in the gospel. As I looked around, I see kids singing the song today, learning this. It's not just a catchy tune or empty words, but it's the gospel and the response to the gospel. It's the reminder that the verdict is out. You are justified. You are made innocent through the blood of the lamb, the regeneration, the washing by the Holy Spirit. And now you're free to live the life God's called you to live. Jesus says it is for freedom you have been set free. The words go like this. A curse you became my sin was your shame. For sorrow you came to glorify your name. Hung like a thief, laid down in grief, you gave your life and traded it with mine. You set me free, O oh Lord. 
You set me free so I can live. You set me free. Then Sunday came. You awoke from the grave. From death we are saved. We have life in your name. The curse of sin is broken. Your love has spoken life to me. When you leave every day, when you run out of the courtroom and you've now been made innocent, you now are free, not in shame. He took your shame. You don't have to walk out bound by your past. You can actually live the freedom. You don't have to be bound by that. No, 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 no. I want to tell you about the love of Christ that changed me. I want to tell you about this Jesus. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to quarrel with you. I don't have to be right. I just want to be righteous. I don't want to love you. I want to forgive you. That doesn't mean going along to get along because faithful are the wounds of a friend and be weary of flattery. But we can love and speak the truth in love with kind, courteous behavior, serving them that we might change them, that God might be glorified. So be careful to devote yourself to good works. Insist on this. Because you've been set free. Free so you can live for his glory and the good of this valley. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, the curse of sin is broken. You became a curse. You made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let us live as so. Let us respond to the good gift of grace. You became a curse for us. You took on our sorrow and our shame. So with head high, we'll come boldly into the throne room of grace. We don't have to cower in fear because it's not about getting it right or paying the price. You paid the price to make us right. We thank you. We praise you. So when we leave here, let us respond to this gift, be reminded of this gift, and extend it to others. For your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?